welcome to the final episode of Downton Gabby for Downton Abbey season four. Before we all go off to Switzerland to wait for eight months for the new season, I am Brandy Sperry in Los Angeles. I'm Shannon Bowen in Oakland. And I'm Teresa Schechter in Brooklyn. So let's talk about Edith, guys. Oh, can I just, before we talk about Edith, can, can someone explain <laughs> to me the time jump here? Has it been a year? I think we've gone from the end of summer to the beginning of summer. I think it's been like nine months. Okay. And as you said in our notes, apparently no one has spoken during this period. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was a real long winter. Nobody went anywhere. Nobody called anyone. Nobody sent a letter. <laughs> nobody Nothing. spoke about anything. Nobody met anyone. Nobody ran into anyone. Nobody called Other on anyone. Having her baby, nothing happened. Yeah, it's extraordinary. I had to keep reminding myself that all of this time had passed because to me, it seemed like it was like the next week from episode yeah. seven. So aside from, you know, Edith popping out a baby and weaning it, apparently. Um, <sighs> wow, that was just kind of mean. I really love this storyline. It was really touching because Edith really has to fight to be a mother. And I feel like you don't often see that the right yeah. to to be a mother and to not give up her child I thought was very interesting. It it yeah. was kind of it was kind of heartbreaking when you know the the show opens and and you realize that you realize what's happened already and then you see Edith and I just kept thinking wow she's carried a baby to term she's delivered a baby she's weaned a baby. It made me think of Edith in a very different way and just made me feel really sad for her for what she went through. I was surprised the show didn't show us any of that. I guess I shouldn't be surprised. You know, someone, I wish I could remember what writer had said that everything on Downton Abbey that's interesting happens off stage like a Greek tragedy. And this season has been particularly bad mm -hmm. about that. Um, I was really expecting to see that tragic moment of having to give up the baby. And I mean, mostly right. for the actress's sake, I wish we had, because I feel like Laura Carmichael is very good. And a lot of times they gloss over what could be truly dramatic moments for her and make her just mope all the time. Yeah. Well, I thought the actress brought a lot of maturity to Edith. I felt like Edith had aged. You know, we were saying time didn't pass for any of the other characters, but Edith as a character, she felt older to me. She felt like she had gone through something serious. I was actually listening or reading a live chat that Laura Carmichael was having on PBS today. Um, which was complete fluff. I mean, like, qu question. Oh, Laura, I love you so much. I think Lady Edith is the best. How do you feel her character's grown? And then she answers, oh, my character's grown so much. It's such a great show to work on. <laughs> That's general tenor of, of the question well, and answer. If you were an actor on Down Abbey, wouldn't you be extremely afraid of saying anything bad about Julia <laughs> yes. Fellows? He will murder you. Oh, my He'll God. He will yes. murder you. I really felt, listening to her, that, like, like there was a handler standing right beside her. <laughs> she was answering these questions. Like I remember my trip to China in 1984. And when we called home, there was always a little Chinese man standing right next to us monitoring our calls. And that's how I feel like Laura Carmichael <laughs> was doing this Q&A. Oh, my God. Anyway, but the best part of it was they did a little poll on what she should name the baby. And they had like all these different options. And the number one choice was Michaela. Uh -huh. 
That's so modern. Michael? Well, Michael, Michaela. Oh. Um, okay. But second one, which I voted for, was Geneva. Isn't that a great idea? Oh, that's Cute. beautiful. I prefer that. Love it. But I did think it was interesting that, especially when I watched it a second time and watching Edith, she actually really wants to be a mother. I don't think she would just leave her baby in the nursery. I think she would want to interact and be a very active mother. And it's just such a shame that she can't have her child, her wanted child that was conceived out of love in her home. It's just terrible. This whole episode was missing babies. Did you notice that like little George and Sibby were nowhere to be seen? No, I was no. wondering, I was like, did you leave them back and down with those maids who are nameless background during the opening and that, scene? And that small boy in a tweed suit? Who, who was that? I have no idea. I don't know what's happening. Anyway. The children. Uh, the, I feel like they could pull a soap opera and next time we see them, they would be like only years past, but they're both 10 years old. And I would be like relieved. Because we at least don't have to wonder where they are all the time. It might be like a soap opera where it'll be next generation Delton and it'll be all of them grown up. Yeah. Which I would still watch. Well, you know, you know, Julian is working on a show called The Gilded Age for uh, NBC. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Is that actually happening? Yeah, apparently it's happening once Downton ends. It's going to happen on NBC. Um, and it's going to be like, Cora. I don't think it's about Cora, but it's going to be like her childhood basically, like around that era. Taking in place. New York. Yeah, in New York. Gotcha. That'll be cool. I'd like that. Definitely. I hope it's, I hope it's a young Cora. That would be awesome, actually. Yeah. I hope her face moves more as a child. <laughs> Before she <laughs> got that awful laudanum habit. I know we didn't see it, but it's, it's there, guys. I, I really enjoyed having her family there. Um, the first time I watched it, it was kind of like, ah, so one note annoyance. But then watching it again, it was like, wait, I'm really loud. And I get, I kind of like identified with them more the second time of being <laughs> like, yeah, I kind of get it. None of these people really get you. And they, you know, think you're common and loud and rude when you're really rich and you're richer than most of these people in this room. Shannon, are you secretly rich? No. I thought Mrs. Levinson was just fantastic. I love that she's got everyone's number. She knows mm -hmm. everything that's going on all the time. And she is completely yep. unafraid to say what's on her mind and call it like she sees it. I, I think she's just great. And like Harold too. I mean, I thought, I love that Harold kept outraging <laughs> that gold digging family by basically saying the truth. I didn't care if he hurt her feelings. I thought they were awful. So um, I, I thought they were both fantastic. More Americans. USA. <laughs> Says the Canadian. Says the Canadian. USA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> USA. Yeah, I thought Paul Giamatti did a really good job with the storyline, which it was, you know, some compressed, shallow character development, but, and there were some very repetitive conversations. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't believe that Madeline, the bright young thing, would really be spin with him. But given all those caveats, I actually enjoyed it. Um, the like reveal of how he's not just this boorish guy. He's actually really self-conscious about being an eligible rich man and also being unattractive and unconfident in his, in himself. So I thought I, I really like him as an actor and I enjoyed having him mixed in more than I might have thought I would. For me, the funniest laugh out loud moment was when he <laughs> walks over to the Prince of Wales. <laughs> he's, like, he's like, Harold Levinson and the Prince of Wales says, 
my name is not Harold Levinson. <laughs> I just thought it was hilarious. But it is kind of crazy. Like, how is Cora related to them? Because, you know, Paul Giamatti and, you know, the mother look very similar. And then Cora looks totally different. They're actors. So they're not actually family members is part one. But, I mean, Edith and Sybil are supposed to be sisters. So that's true. They don't look alike. Oh, TV world. Oh, but we should say, you know what you're owing about. Oh, go. The Downton Gabby Twitter buddy, Jessica Clayton, at Jessica Clayton, had an amazing theory that I can't believe we've never thought of before, which is that Edith could be Rosamund's illegitimate child. Yes. They do look alike. Right? They're the same hair color this season. I think that would be so awesome. That would be the greatest plot twist ever, which is why I'm sure it's not actually true. <laughs> But I had it in my mind while I was watching a few of the scenes over again today. And Edith goes, you know, when they're talking in Rosamond's parlor, she says something to her like, you just don't know what it's like to be a mother. And it just cuts to Rosamond's face and she looks stunned. And then it cuts away from the scene. And I was like, wow, that was actually really weird. Once you once you have that in your head, you're going to start like making clues for yourself that maybe, yes, like that's why... Edith has always seemed like the disfavored daughter. She's really just their niece that they adopted. like Which they like to do, adopting nieces. Yeah, I've been really scrutinizing Rosamond's every move and every facial expression. And I think, I think it could be a completely plausible storyline and an incredibly cool storyline because it would explain so much about how Rosamond's been dealing with Edith through this entire ordeal. Yeah. I would love it. Like, Julian should do that. We should start whispering in his ear while he's sleeping. <gasps> Can we start great. a campaign? How do we start a campaign? Well, I don't know. Do it. I, I was so tempted, actually, to send a question to um, Laura Carmichael saying, is it true that you're, you're secretly Rosamond's daughter? <laughs> and then I chickened out. Well, what did you guys think of the ball and the coming out and all of that? I loved it. I love the said, balls. Uh, we there were some epic sparkly headbands. It was a twelve on the sparkly headband scale. It was out of control. I feel we also need to add some sort of bonus score for the feathered headdresses as well. Twitter just lit up. <laughs> what are those pom poms on their heads? The actual presentation part of it was very bizarre to me because there's like 50 men in red jackets in the background just milling about, chit-chatting, paying no attention to the women being introduced to the king. It was very strange. Yeah, the whole thing was really quite strange. Um, I still don't understand what Lord Grantham was doing there in a red jacket exactly, but um, I actually really liked Rose's dress. And Shannon, I know you did not uh, did not like either of them. I love that silhouette. I thought it was really cool. It looked really modern, like weird couture, but I just, I don't know. I expected something more. You know, I loved both of the wedding dresses that we had of Mary and Edith, and I was expecting to be wowed, and I just was like, ugh, not into it. Well, it's, it seemed like Rose wore the identical dress at her coming out and at her ball, except in different colors. Right. Right. And Mary's dresses were pretty drab. I was surprised. That baby blue number that she wore to the museum has got to be the most hideous dress she has ever worn. 
That was maybe the only time I've ever seen Michelle Dockery look bad in an outfit. <laughs> it was awful. I don't care if it was accurate. I don't care if pastels were all the rage that friggin' season. There was no reason for that. It was horrible. <laughs> it was horrible. You know what else was horrible? Cora's dress at the ball, which was sort of a shapeless sack yeah. of some kind. We need to get out of this, like, shapeless sheath dress trend. Like, skip ahead to when we start getting some more shapes back. Seriously. And some pantsuits. Edith sees a Marlena Dietrich movie and her whole world turns upside down. <laughs> yes. She's wearing the smoking every day. Yeah, that would be amazing. Love it. Great. I was really surprised we didn't see Michael Gregson. I mean, they sort of mention these brown-coated guys. He has to be dead, right? But I, the only thing I can think that they're not just binding him and declaring him dead is that there's going to be some sort of yet another god-awful legal storyline next season about Edith inheriting and, you know, her talk about trying to give her daughter half of his stuff. How on earth is she going to do that when they were never married and she can't prove that that's his kid? I don't understand how that's going to work. Also, isn't he still married? Doesn't he have a wife? Yeah, who would inherit his stuff? No matter whether she had power of attorney over the magazine or not. Yeah, that that conversation made no sense to me. But I was thinking that, um, so there was this stuff in Munich with the brown shirt. So obviously this is the baby Nazi party on the prowl. Um, and I'm just wondering if maybe he was arrested. Because if he had been killed, they would have found his body. Right. So Yeah, I've if he's just been in a prison cell, not being able to speak German for the last year. All he can say is, I want a divorce, which is just confusing all the jailers. Can we can we just talk about the ball for one more moment? Can we just talk <laughs> about the whole pretty in pink moment when the Prince of Wales walks in and asks for the first dance? <laughs> you can hear the music in the back of your mind. All of a sudden it went do-do-do-do for you in the back of your mind. <laughs> <laughs> It was just like, yeah, it was just so great. And um, uh, I was I was just thinking that that would be the absolute coolest thing that could ever happen to you, like a prom, right? If the Prince of Wales right. shows up. It's like when Davy Jones went to the prom with Marsha on the Brady Bunch. <laughs> it was like that. Thank you, Julian, for that moment. I really, really appreciate it. I did. I really enjoyed the little mini caper storyline. I, I found it great. And I always like watching Robert get mad about something like that. That's just this little thing where he's like, oh my God, we've got to do something about this rather than actually being offensively mad about something. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny it's, how he's so fiercely monarchist. We've got to save his honor. <laughs> I was like, really? A letter? Come on. Julian, could you come up with something else besides a letter? <laughs> At least it wasn't hidden in a book. Yeah, right. He says. At least. It's like, we're I mean, really, we're doing another letter caper. Okay. <laughs> I thought it was fun, but it was just, yeah, his ranting, like, especially from our perspective, knowing historically what's actually going to happen to the Prince of Wales. It's like, if you think this is the only time he's going to do something improper for the monarchy, I mean, that's, this is what's going to kill Robert eventually, right? 1936. Robert has a heart attack. The woman I love blasted. The the caper was kind of fun. It was it turned into this sort of drawing room farce at some point, which I thought was pretty funny actually. Where they're all like making stuff up as they go along about why someone has to go to the theater and someone else 
goes, they're so bad at it. And then, of course, Bates' friend that has nothing to do but forge this letter, even though he was doing it out in the open at the table. I mean, it was just so stupid. Oh, how lucky that Bates has a friend in London that can do forgery that happens to be free that afternoon, that apparently is not going to charge any money for doing this illegal thing. Nobody. And why am I supposed to believe that Bates ha- was like practicing his forgery for some reason while he was in prison? And he's also a master pickpocket. Like this. Oh, it's because they take Julian. those criminal classes. They take those criminal classes in jail. You know, so it's like pickpocket day. It's like forgery day. Yeah. It's continuing education. It's it's really yeah. nice for the prisoners. Helps them rehabilitate. Uh, but. I feel like, once again, the show is forgetting, like, before he met Lord Grantham in the war, before he, like, joined the army or whatever, wasn't he just supposed to be a drunk? And, like, he went to prison for some crime that Vera committed? And, I mean, he was not some master smooth James Bond criminal. He was a drunk. I mean, where are these skills supposed to be coming from? I don't know why I'm so hung up on this, but why don't they think they have to pay this guy for forging a letter? This isn't America, okay? They People can't. do things out of honor and out of duty to the monarchy. They so can't weird. have that paper trail. They can talk to everyone they know about it, but they cannot have a paper trail. Now we see the the, the ticket, so it's very likely that um, Bates did push that guy off the curb. And then he forges a letter, and then he pickpockets Samson. All in a day's work for a criminal mastermind. But I do like that they address that, you know, nobody wants to fault him for killing a horrible guy that harmed his wife. Yeah, he's supposed to be a criminal mastermind who didn't bother to burn this ticket himself, has just kept it in his pocket for eight months, the ticket that implicates him, thinking whether, like, is this a moment where I believe that Mary really would, would Mary's character really want to go to the authorities to let them decide? I mean, she got away with sort of murder at one point, you know? I thought that (laughs) was very out of character for her, especially when earlier in the episode she said, I like lying. I mean, she's all about doing these roguish things. So I I thought that was very out of character. I thought, if anything, it would have been reversed where Mrs. Hughes would be the one who was struggling and Mary would be the one saying, we cannot, you know... If anything, even, we cannot bring this scandal down on this family again because we defended him the last time he was accused of murder. Right. It's just this stupid, like, why should characters be consistent? You know, why not just use them to push the plot in whatever way seems good in the next five minutes? Yeah. it's, It's just this typical, you know, this typical thing that we keep seeing, which is, it doesn't matter how anyone behaved, you know, two weeks ago or a year ago, whatever. Um, yeah, so the thing with Mary was very out of character, I thought. I just couldn't, I didn't get it at all. Well, what did you guys think about Tom bringing this lady into the house? Well, really, she bullied her way into the house. Again, odd. This is a this is the main storyline where I was like, really, they haven't run into each other in the village in the last eight to nine months? Right, but there's st- but he's still gonna invite her to dinner and this and that, and then I don't know. I just I feel like there's a lot of these storylines in just pop culture in general where 
the good guy gets in trouble because they were peer pressured by their buddy who's the cool kid to do something that makes them uncomfortable and it's just it's just stupid and this especially was stupid they literally walked up some stairs and that was enough to get in trouble seriously and thomas being such a little snitch i mean they have completely wasted his character this season but this is this is his big moment Lurking in the shadows of the gallery, waiting for something to happen. What was he doing up there anyway? The scene afterwards when Tom is eating breakfast and Thomas is sort of standing behind him. Not the greatest scene in the world, but the way the actors delivered it, and especially um, Rob James Collier, who plays Thomas, with his line, like, I didn't know you could tell me what to think or whatever it was. It was a, it was a classier line than that. But the way he delivered it was just really great in the middle of this very stupid storyline. I was just like, this guy has so much more in him than the show will let him do. I know I've said this probably 17 times already this season on this podcast, but I'm very frustrated that this actor doesn't have more to do because I really think he's great. Oh, especially and- after last season. Yes. Yeah, and again, yeah. just the same old song with Baxter. I hope you have stories for me. It's like, what does he say that every week or every day or, you know? And I don't even think Julian Fellows probably knows at this point what it is that Thomas has over Baxter because we haven't gotten any clue about it at all. It's just strange. I think it's because she knows how to use a sewing machine that she was a fallen lady. Yes, it's probably something like that, but that's not even that interesting to me considering that we've seen other storylines of that type on this show already. And at this point, she's been what an, an employee of the Granthams for over a year. Right. Laura really likes her. I mean, they've forgiven much worse than that in other servants that they like. So what does Thomas think is really going to happen if he says, oh, by the by, at one point in time, she gave up an illegitimate baby or whatever. I think that they're all just going to roll their eyes at him. So it's weird. I know. It's so hard to get good help. I wouldn't, I wouldn't dismiss <laughs> I her just for that. Cora has gone through many a lady's maid. She's not going to get rid of the nice one who makes her orange juice just because she has a past. Right. And she's great at hair. And that's what counts. And apparently Baxter and Mosley haven't spoken for a year <laughs> because <laughs> their friendship hasn't advanced at all. No. They've had no time. It's just been so busy with what I don't know. Oh, but it's wow. cute. Oh, it's well, there's... cute how she thinks he's strong. I mean, it's adorable. Oh, that, that line on the beach where he's like, my what? <laughs> when he when he rolled down and he was all sweaty to sit next door, and I was just like, I hope he was doing his cricket moves beforehand because that was still one of my favorite moments ever, was him <laughs> talking up his cricket skills. Oh, they're just awesome together, and he's adorable, and she's adorable. But you know who's the most adorable of all? Mrs. Patmore with an ice cream cone? Carson <laughs> leading into the ocean. Is it Carson and Mrs. Hughes holding hands? Yes. Okay. Oh, my God. <laughs> but before we talk about them, the other most adorable couple is Isabel and Lord Merton. Is that his name? Yes. Which I love all this, like, older people love, you know? It's like, they. I feel like for the first time, they haven't completely forgotten about the downstairs. They've actually made them people instead of just servants all the time. So we've got this Mosley and Baxter thing. 
emerging maybe and then we've got Isabel and Merton I mean we've got a lot of potential for cute romances next season senior love yeah Yeah. and I love that they're not young people you know that you can find love again in your life later that life is still worth living did you also that sounded really dramatic sorry did you notice that when Isabel is with Lord Merton, is that his name? Lord Merton yeah. or Moulton? Yeah, Merton. Merton. I looked it up. Okay. You, I don't know if there was someone named Severus. <laughs> Wait, I look. At, I know. The we'll fact that there was someone named Severus was very distracting. Okay. <laughs> Wait, hold that thought. Um, did you notice that whenever Isabel is with Lord Merton, she's like super cool and she's shown in her absolute best light. She never gets to shine the way she does when she's with him i love their little flirting about the soup i thought it was really cute (laughs) that was another john hughes moment for me like like she gets caught at home wearing her headgear when the cute boy comes over it's totally exactly exactly it's like that moment in a teen movie when like you're yeah exactly wearing your headgear in your pajamas and then the guy you have a crush on is the pizza delivery guy Hughes, Mrs. Hughes and Carson going into the water at the end. Oh my God. Literally testing the waters. <gasps> I stole that no. from Tom and Lorenzo. I didn't write that. <laughs> First of all, I I still don't support a Mrs. Hughes Carson romance. I think they're just cute as like, you know, uh non sexual life partners. But I also had to wonder like how much cajoling do you think it took for Carson to take off his shoes in front of everyone? I bet this is the first mm. time anyone in his life has ever seen him without shoes on. <laughs> ever. You're, that's a really good point. <laughs> that was a big move on his part, and I was very proud of him for taking a moment to relax and wade into the ocean. And I, too, am a person who gets worried about having to wear wet pants. It's very unpleasant. So I was with him on that one, too. Yeah, I mean, yeah, well, they're like tweed pants. I mean, they're heavy. Yeah. How are you going to dry those? They're gonna, it's going to take a while. He's not going to take them off and sit around in his drawers. So. See, I don't see the romance. I really just like in my head, Carson, Mrs. Hughes, and, and Mrs. Patmore are like uh, down golden girls for me, where they're all just going to like mm. be each other's companions into the twilight. Well, and the other big reveal on the beach was... That someone has a crush on Daisy, which I was so happy. It was like, shove it, Ivy. She's the one that's got the admirer now, even though he's really annoying. That storyline was delightful for me. Um, You know, going from Daisy being like, I'm never excited to being like, I'm not chuffed. It'll take me through to next summer. Like It was so cute. And then Ivy was very awkward inserting herself into the conversation and begging to go to America, but I'll take it if it means we don't have to listen to her again next season. <laughs> yeah, bye the show. Seriously, bye. and take Jimmy with you, please. And Alfred's never leaving, guys. He's never I know. leaving. We're going to mm. get a letter from him in every episode with an update. It's just <laughs> so weird. I mean, we thought we'd killed off all of his relatives, but he just won't die i felt like a flash of red hot anger when that letter was read on the show i was like julian fellas is just trolling me at this point like alfred never gonna go away (laughs) julian fellas personally trolling brandy (laughs) yes just to piss you off that's yes he could be a listener we don't know that he's not 
true. <laughs> he listens to our podcast and then, you know, changes the show. And then he goes course. back in time and changes the UK version of the show just to piss you yes. off more. I think Daisy and Alfred are going to get together in the end. I think that's what they're hinting at. She just won't get over him. Really? Uh, you think? Yeah, I do. I still I think, think she'll be a new guy for her. She's going to take over Mr. Mason's farm. I don't mm-hmm. think she's ever going to do that. I just, I want her to, but, well, now I kind of want her to go to London and be a hotshot chef. I'm very happy for Daisy. I think she's completely adorable. Um, But I guess the real love story that we're supposed to care about the most is Mary and her men. Mary and her love triangle. Which I find myself caring less and less about with every passing episode because the men are acting more schmoopy and less active. You know, neither of them was doing anything in this episode besides just hanging around her. Super boring. Yeah, and then they become more and more similar. Now we find out that Mr. Blake actually is an aristocrat and it's like we even lose that tension of like what side should she be looking for a mate on or whatever the you know future versus past thing that is like such a core of the series has now been erased from this storyline it's very strange i still don't care really who she ends up with neither of these guys are all that compelling to me no they talk a lot about fighting for her but they're not doing any fighting yeah they're just hanging around you know acting like lovesick puppy dogs I mean how is that attractive you know when she was with Matthew but even before they were together they used to have these good conversations they would spar it was smart you could see even after that you could see that they really cared about each other I don't know I I just feel like I could see some kind of chemistry yeah well well Matthew as a character had conviction in a way that these guys don't well, I think Blake had that to start. Yeah. And now that's been eliminated. It also Gillingham had sex appeal. I mean, when those first couple scenes, episodes with him, I mean, they looked like they wanted to eat each other's clothes off each other and just like uh-huh. bite into them. And, and that seems a- anticipated too. Mm-hmm. He's a very attractive man, but all of a sudden he seems sort of like sad and slope shouldered and it's like, stop being such a Molesley and like go kiss her, you know? Yeah. Totally. I mean, these guys have been loitering for, for also for nine months. They have been loitering. <laughs> Nothing has changed. The conversations are still the same. In nine months, Mary hasn't figured out who Blake is, which is, I think, a little weird to tell you the truth. Since he's yeah. friends with uh, with Frida, um, mm-hmm. what's her name? Oh shoot, Dudley. Um, oh yeah. Since he's, yeah. he, he's friends with Frida Dudley Ward. I mean, I, does she not put two and two together that the fact also, that he's chummy means something? And, and Evelyn never told her that? I mean, he is her friend who told her everything else that was going on. That seems very strange to me. It's all very strange. It just doesn't make any sense that she wouldn't know who he was. Her parents wouldn't know who he was. I'm sorry. He's related yeah. to Severus Snape. and He's going to be very rich one day. <laughs> Yes, and very powerful in the dark arts. Let's all just admit that Severus Snape is sexy and just get over it. Oh, my God. So (laughs) sexy. Why doesn't Alan Rickman come on this show and woo Mary? 
Oh my god, what if Alan Rickman had a podcast? I would listen to it like it was Infinite Jest. Like, I would go crazy. I would never do anything else but just listen to his voice. Totally. So if you were going to have an operating system and you could pick the voice, you would pick it at Alan Rickman. Yes, Alan Rickman. Yes. Yeah, compared to what a rich storyline it's been with Edith, and we've gotten to see the character, you know, fall in love, go through this intense, challenging trauma, and grow and become a more mature person who believes in herself and her decisions to just see Mary flit around and you know not progress at all is just been very lopsided and makes me not want to care about Mary what if we flash ahead 16 years and Edith's illegitimate daughter who thinks she's just a farm girl falls in love with George I know she has to declare no you guys are, I mean, not that anyone really cares about a first cousin marrying at that point, but just bear with me. Okay. She has to reveal her long-held secret so that they know what they're getting into. I mean, this would be very dramatic. Let's just jump ahead 15 to 16 years, because I feel like Fellows doesn't know what to do with these characters anymore. He needs some fresh ones. Needs but all gen. the other storylines will stay at this point, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, we've established <laughs> that we can... We can manipulate space-time in such a way as to keep the storylines we want and move the other ones forward. We might as well use that up to 15 to 20 years. All right. Well, this is a perfect segue to predictions for next season. I just feel like the secret of Edith's daughter is not going to stay a secret. The the pig man, I don't understand why they trust him so much, but it does seem like the show is setting him up as this like beacon of pure goodwill. So, I don't know. It's going to be some other thing that reveals the secret than him, but I, I don't think that's going to stay a secret either. I can't believe they haven't put it together by just that lame storyline no. alone. Nobody is paying attention to anything. Nobody even asked Rosamond to speak any French. <laughs> I think we're going to open with Isabel marrying Lord Merton. And I think it's going to be great. I'm excited to see their life together. I know, she's going to be a lady. I think that's great. I think that would be a lovely little plot twist where she actually has to come to terms with really being a part of this world and not just a tangential hanger-on. And I also think, you know, there's been some interesting conversations in that vein between her and Tom this season, and I would just, I would like to see her be more thrown into that and and then she would be able to have the resources to start some new project, which I'm sure would be delightful. And, you know, then we can just have Down Abbey eventually run smack into Call the Midwife and just become one big narrative. And I would be very happy about that. It was interesting. I enjoyed her sparring with the Dowager so much that actually when Martha Levinson came and she was sparring with the Dowager, it was like, this isn't as good. It's because it's a retread of of all the conversations they've already had. With the Dowager and Isabel, you get the sense that they really do understand each other at their core, even though they have differences and feel comfortable sparring about those differences. I don't think the Dowager and Martha Levinson understand each other. I don't think they let themselves understand because, you know, we've seen the depths of the Dowager's love for her family and what she can do with the whole like circling the wagons when someone needs it thing. And I don't think Martha's ever seen that side of her and vice versa, you know, but the Dowager doesn't have any respect for Martha as an independent woman because she doesn't really understand that. It's just, it's way less satisfying when characters are just surface level hating each other. 
I mean, it's a big deal that Martha let Cora sink all this money into this life that she doesn't even appreciate or understand. So I think that was a huge leap of faith as her mother that she did. She supported Cora doing that. So Cora next season, um, I think she's going to walk around with some papers in her hand. I think she's going to uh, put the papers in the other hand uh, and turn around and walk back. The only way Julian seems to know how to give women a storyline other than maybe the Dowager is what dude are they going to end up with? So she's already with, you know, obviously she's happily married. Like, what do we do with a character, a female character who's happily married? What else could she possibly have to do besides pass papers around from hand to hand? She's already lost a baby, so he's out of ideas. I really enjoyed how much we've been in London, and I hope we get to spend just as much time in London next season. And I do think Rose is going to be the toast of the town. If I didn't actually know my history, I would have predicted a torrid love affair with the Prince of Wales. <laughs> I guess that's not going to happen. Oh, geez, that would have been great, though, huh? Mm-hmm. Maybe she, like, fits somewhere in between, like, before he meets Wallace, what's-her-face? Like, Wallace would... Simpson? Yes. That would be great. So, I hope that Rose picks a good guy, though. She's picked a lot of men that don't fit with her, and I'd like to see her in a real love story. Well, apparently Shrimpy's going to be part of next season. So, if he's coming to town, he's either coming to fetch her... Or to be there for some event. Like, her parents couldn't be bothered to come to her uh, coming out. And she's turned out to be a delightful character. I think she's yeah. delightful, too. Agreed. Um, <clears throat> so, I don't know if I have any other predictions. I just, you know, I would love Rosamond being revealed as Edith's real mother. Um, I would like And Mosley. Mosley heir to Downton, yes, of course. <laughs> So he's Rose's real father. Like, it's just all Exactly. Oh, yeah. I would like Mary not to pick either of those two snoozable suitors and find something else to do with her life. Well, I like that one of our Twitter followers said, no, let's see that cowboy from America. We were promised. Yes, that's, yeah. I, that's just what I was going to say. I want her to find an American. For all she disses Americans, I want her to find a nice feisty American and uh, fall in love with him. I think that would be great. That would be the best. She's always at her best when she's sparring with someone. I don't want to see her with someone who's just like her. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. And uh, I would like Mrs. Miss Bunting to disappear because I've had quite enough of her. But I would like Tom to run for office. Ooh. So he can stop Friends. just using the word socialist in a sentence and actually, you know, do something socialist. I would love that. I would love to see that, actually. Yeah, I think that would be a great storyline. And uh, I, I wish the Dowager excellent health <laughs> to have her with us for another season. They had her being so, like, tired when she was having her scene with Martha Levinson in the upper hallway. And I was like, why do I feel like she's going to go into that bedroom and keel over right now? Like, this yeah. Is too much. No, I don't think she's going to live through another full season. Yeah, I think she, she isn't. I don't think I'm telling you, Red Wedding all over again. It's going to be. <laughs> is there another be... like Spanish influenza type thing coming in history? Let me check. Let me let me Google uh, pandemics. The, the thing that frustrates me the most about the show is 
Julian Fellows, like, I just feel like if he had a writing staff, the show would be much more strong because yeah. he, he seems to succumb to every idea he has and just not think through the consequences. And he's often very good at writing snapping dialogue that the cast does wonderful things with. And there's always, like, something redeeming about every episode, but so much of it is very frustrating as you, like, think through the logistics, you think through the character history, and he just, like, one person can't keep track of all that alone, apparently. He really should have someone else helping him. I do think that the storyline that made me enjoy this season was Edith. I didn't care for a lot of this season, but I love the Edith storyline, and that is why I'm coming back to watch another season, is Edith. So, guys, what's a show that you're going to watch from now until season five airs that's going to get you through get you through these dark times without Downton? Um, well, I mentioned Call the Midwife earlier, and I somehow didn't know that the third season of that is already airing in the UK right now and is almost over. And It'll start in, in March or April. In, uh, uh, I mean, let's be honest. Now that I know it's out there, I'm not going to last that long. I'm going to torrent it. But <laughs> uh, I love that show so much. I've tried to get basically everyone I know to watch it because I think it's just really, really great stuff. And uh, I encourage any of you who might be listening who have not watched Call of the Midwife to go back. First couple seasons are on Netflix. Give it an episode or two because it's a little bit of a slow burn, but once you're in that world and you understand the stakes and you know all the characters, you'll be hooked. I guarantee it. I just finished watching the first season of The Fall, and I'm bouncing off the walls because there is no second season. So I'm going to be on the lookout for The Fall. And um, I'm also very happily still watching The Good Wife and Scandal and Nashville. I agree with you on the fall. I'm also very confused about why we have not seen season two. One of Jillian Anderson's finest performances, and she's a perennially underrated actress, I think. Just a really good show. Um, also, The Bletchley Circle, which Therese recommended before, oh, is also yeah, very good. I still- but I think my show that satisfies the same type of craving for silly TV that's still, you know, satisfying and addictive is Scandal. And I'm so happy that's coming back because I, it's just a truly fun show to watch. Unless people are, like, licking each other's faces during torture scenes or something like right. that. Right. Okay, yeah. <laughs> but sometimes you get to see Scott Foley with his shirt off, which is very satisfying for me. <laughs> On that note, thank you for listening to our season of Downton Gabby. Please find us and our back episodes on... Uh, downgabby.tumblr.com. We're on Twitter at downgabby. You can find us on Facebook as well. Give us a rating on iTunes. Stay in touch uh, during the off season, and we will see you again next season. Thank you for listening. Good times for a change. See the luck I've had can make a good man turn bad. So please, please, please Let me, let me, let me Let me get what I want this time Haven't had a dream in a long time See the life I've had Make a good man